Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome in to the Friday, March the 9th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, this is the last time you guys will be hearing from me prior to the legal tampering period, which means the new league year is off and running with major decisions on Jarvis Landry and Dominican Sue coming. The Dolphins roster is going to look dramatically different at this time next week. Also, I've got a new draft man crush. We'll discuss that as well as open up the Twitter mailbag. And we'll talk about my piece right now up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It is titled Bubblegum and Band-Aids. Roster building the Miami Dolphins way. We'll get to that. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Those five-star ratings and those reviews help the podcast out immensely. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show, at LockedOnFins. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, your home for your daily written Dolphins content needs. And of course, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And it wouldn't be an early March 2018 podcast without talking about Jarvis Landry. Let's go ahead and kick off first down on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And on first down, we are talking about Jarvis Landry once again. He signs his franchise tender, making it official. He is now guaranteed almost $16 million for the 2018 season with the Miami Dolphins right now. That is obviously subject to change. But there was a tweet. I can't remember who it was by saying the team might actually be in some trouble with Jarvis Landry and the way they handled this entire situation. Now, this could be agent speak. This could be Jarvis Landry's camp trying to put out some notes about the Dolphins' front office botching this and trying to drive his price up a little bit in the free agent market. But right now, they are on the hook for that $16 million, and teams have to get under the cap by Wednesday the 14th. And if you account for the Robert Quinn trade, they'll be $19 million over the salary cap mark right now. So they have some serious trimming to do on this roster. And if they can't move Jarvis Landry, that's going to make the free agency period very, very tough to add different pieces that they're going to need going forward. And they're basically going to have to rely on guys either developing on the roster or basically guys, rookie players from the draft, whether that's guys they drafted or undrafted free agents. So they could be in a lot of trouble going into this period. And that's kind of what my piece about LockedOnDolphins.com is about and how the Dolphins have kind of put themselves in that position year after year in the past. And we'll get to that later in the episode here. But before that, we have to talk about how much different this roster will look the next time you guys hear from me. It sounds like this weekend is going to be very busy. We know Lawrence Timmons and Julius Thomas are probably going to be cut. And possibly Mike Pouncey is the next one on that list that could go. But what about Ndamukong Sue? We're starting to hear more and more about him possibly getting cut. And I've said that it's not going to happen in the past, but if they put themselves in this position where they have to pay Jarvis Landry and they obviously have Robert Quinn on the books now, it might come at the cost of Ndamukong Sue. They might have put themselves in a position to lose their best player on this team. Now, his $26 million cap hit, that was something he could never live up to. No player besides a quarterback could ever live up to that. I mean, he plays a position that can be schemed out of this defense. And we saw in the Baltimore game at in 2017, 
that was when it really started to happen where he would get schemed out by just letting him get upfield aggressively and running the football away from him or doing some misdirection in the opposite direction of Dominican Sue. And the Ravens did a good job of that and put a blueprint on tape for how to go ahead and handle Miami's all pro defensive tackle. So he has that big time all pro money and same contract. So what would be a good replacement for Ndamukong Sue if you let him go? Now you're talking about trying to fill out the rest of the roster via free agency and you can see where the net gain could be by getting rid of that big salary, using the money to fill your left guard, possibly a safety, maybe a wide receiver to pl- replace Landry if he does in fact go or just continue to rebuild the offensive line, maybe a backup running back to Kenyon Drake. But a good replacement for Ndamukong Sue that would be a cheap contract at least it would be a high resource but a cheap contract is Washington's Vita Vey now this guy is an insane athlete 347 pounds he ran a 5.140 yard dash his 10 yards play was impressive he is a physically dominating player as you guys know I'm a Washington State Cougar and he dominated the Cougs in the Apple Cup once again so he could come in and be your immediate three technique on that left side of the defensive line next to Cameron Wake and replace him there and do some good stuff in the passing game and for my money you know, we talked about Devon Godshaw, Vincent Taylor, as well as Jordan Phillips being a decent, you know, threesome in that rotation next to Dominican Sue. And I would, the reason I don't want to just rely on those guys and promote them up is because I think they're good in their current roles right now where they are. And you're going to have to find another guy that can disrupt the passing game from the interior. The Dolphins do not have a great interior pass rush with Ndamukong Sue, and without him, it would be completely obsolete. So they need to go ahead and find someone to replace that if they're going to go ahead and cut Sue, and Vita Vey would be a fantastic option. And another guy I talked about earlier in the week on the podcast was Florida's Taven Brime. He dominated the combine. He's got that explosive motor, great get-off-the-line-of-scrimmage, just a, a good-looking player, and a guy that looks like he works very, very hard at his craft. So going to be lots of changes coming up for you guys. This is an exciting time of the year for football fans. We've got plenty more to come, including some draft talk, as well as your questions via the Twitter mailbag from the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Shifting gears on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, talking about the draft. And if you guys knew me from before my time with Locked On Dolphins on Twitter or the Dolphins message boards, you know that I am relatively prone to man crushes this time of year. I'll get into the tape and find some guys that I'm I saw play in their college careers at least a little bit, but never really had a chance to really go in depth and study them. Now for me, I have a decent eye when I watch the games live on the broadcast, but I usually do it as more of a fan in terms of just trying to watch for the enjoyment of watching the game. When I really get into my my analytics and my, you know, breaking down the film and that type of thing, I do that through the film and I like to isolate players and they're, you know, just watching the one guy and kind of seeing what he does in the defense or the offense and how he reacts to certain things. And that's what I got a chance to do the other day with some deep safeties. I love watching safeties play football. It's kind of tough when you do these broadcast versions of these college games because the safeties are typically off the back of the screen and you can't really see what they're doing. But when the player makes a play or a mistake on those NFL draft breakdown.com videos, which are fantastic, by the way, they will usually give you the end zone angle or a replay angle where they show what the player is doing the entire time. And those are invaluable to me when I watch those videos. So I was watching some single high safeties and I got into two last night and I wanted to look at guys that could come in as mid mid round draft picks and be guys that could contribute to the dime defense on third down and get this third and long defense fixed. Now, I'm planning on doing a project talking about the Dolphins third and long defense and how bad it was and kind of showing you some of the reasons why it was bad and how it can get better because opposed to being the one that just sits there and bitches on Twitter all day long about how bad the Dolphins are, how many mistakes they make, or how many players have made certain mistakes. I would rather try to find a reason why that happened and try to get it fixed, at least from a fan perspective. Obviously, I don't have any input (laughs) on the Dolphins roster building, but that's kind of what I'm here for, you guys, to try to give you solutions to these problems and maybe 
put a little bit of optimism around the Dolphins football team because football's you know it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be something we always just get mad about and are angry about all the time. It's a release and an escape. So let's talk about Jesse Bates from Wake Forest. He was the second one that I put on after Jordan Whitehead and Jordan Whitehead from the University of Pittsburgh. I was on to him because of his relation to Ronaldo Hill. He played with Ronaldo Hill at Pittsburgh, or I guess you should say played under him. He was the defensive backs coach at Pittsburgh, and now he is the assistant defensive backs coach with the Miami Dolphins. And Jordan Whitehead was a guy that I, I like to look into their backgrounds, where they came from high school and kind of their their high school accolades as well as what they were early in their college careers up and through their last year of college up until they declare. And Jordan Whitehead was a phenom in high school, a four five, I think it was a four-star recruit. He was Pennsylvania's number one all-around high school player, and he got recruited to play at the University of Pittsburgh, goes there, has a fantastic freshman season, and then kind of flames out from there. He's pure athlete, not a great tackler, a willing tackler, a physical guy, but he's not great at wrapping up and showing true form. He likes to throw a shoulder in there, but he has no instincts and feel for the position of safety. He kind of reacts opposed to running to the ball by noticing route concepts and, and anticipating things that way. And that's the exact opposite of what I saw with Jesse Bates from Wake Forest. I had a chance to watch a couple of his tapes. Again, NFL Draft Breakdown, fantastic YouTube videos there. They isolate players and give you an idea what they're looking at there. And I only got a chance to see a couple of his tapes because he only has two from this year and one from 2016 up there. So it's kind of tough to get a good feel. But on the Florida State tape from this year, the 2017 Florida State game, I tweeted out some examples today. You guys probably saw those if you're on Twitter. Follow me at Wingfield NFL. But I tweeted some videos of him and kind of his anticipation skills, the ability to open the hips, and his ability to read the quarterback and process things like a quarterback opposed to just reacting to what he sees on the field. And what I mean by that is he can recognize the route concepts before they happen. Every team runs similar variations to route concepts, whether it's a switch concept where you break in and out on two guys on the same side or a smash concept where you have a curl route with a corner route going over the top to try to take advantage of cover two, or you have drive concepts where you run guys over the middle of the field and try and displace those linebackers in zone coverage. And Jesse Bates is privy to all these types of things that he sees in front of him on defense. And he is abil- his ability to get out of his backpedal and to change directions and explode and play the football is really, really good. And I can see him coming into the NFL year one and being exactly the guy that I've been talking about the entire time for the, this whole offseason for the Miami Dolphins, a single high safety that can kind of let Rashad and TJ come up and play closer to the line of scrimmage and play the run-heavy stuff, and let him kind of lurk around in the backfield and play the pass a little more and help them on that third and long defense when they get six or seven defensive backs onto the field. And it just seems like it's a perfect fit for him there. His tackling is not great. He is willing, but he, like Jordan Whitehead, he is not a great tackler. He's a little bit slight. We need some time to put some weight on in an NFL weight room, but I would have no doubts that he could do that because he is in another super-class athlete. He was a baseball player in high school, recruited out of, out of high school to play baseball in college. So he played center field and has great tracking abilities for the football. And like I said, great ball skills, just everything you want in a free safety. So I really want to see him be targeted possibly in round three, I would say, because he's not really a day one 100% starter, 100% snap taking starter. He's more of a sub package guy off the off the uh, start of his career. And then would come in hopefully down the line two or three years and become a full time 100% snap taker once the Dolphins are ready to move on from Rashad Jones and or TJ McDonald. So Jesse Bates, Wake Forest, give him a look. You can do so on YouTube at the NFL Draft Breakdown videos or the drafttech.com biographies on each player. Those bios are really, really good, and I like seeing those and kind of seeing where the kid came from and learning more about his background. So let's go ahead and change gears here and get into the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter. You guys respond with your questions. I answer them on the show and give you a Twitter shout-out. So let's go ahead and get into question number one. 
It comes in from Slayner. He is a mod over at our Miami Dolphins on Reddit. A good dude over there. At Leprechaun underscore Leon. The Dolphins seem pretty quiet on the tight end front, but it's clearly a huge area of need. What are the best options there and how can Gaze best utilize them? Let's kind of work backwards here. The best way Gaze would utilize the tight ends in his offense is guys that can take advantage of mismatches on the backside of the formation. What I mean by that is a three by one set to the field side, which is the wider side of the field. There's more area over there. You have... The three wide receivers that go out there, so you have your split end out way out wide, or I should say your flanker, then you have a mid slot and a near slot and a tight bunch there. And then the opposite side, the boundary side of the field, that's where they like to put the tight end on those three by one sets. So they would use him there, a guy that can body up players or body up defenders and get himself open just by being large and having a good sense of leverage to him. So that's kind of what you're looking for there. I think I've been on the Eric Ebron train since the the middle of last season. I know people aren't a big fan of that, but uh, Trey Burton's a good one, but I just don't think Miami's going to be able to afford a tight end because of what I talked about earlier in the podcast in regards to their money they have available. So I think that second and third round is a great spot for tight ends in the draft this year. Mike Gusecki out of Penn State blew up the, the combine. Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma. Dallas Goddard, the guy from South Dakota State. There are plenty of options in that, in that day two, maybe early part of day three range where you can find a tight end that can probably come in and contribute right away and give you some immediate production. Question number two comes from Will Rogers at W. DeMott Rogers. He is a writer on LockedOnDolphins.com. Check his stuff out there. How's it going, Will? He asks, do you think the Dolphins try to extend James to lower his cap hit in 2018 or release him? That's a great question, and I'm a big, big fan of Jawan James as long as he's healthy. My only knock on him is the medical, the fact that he ended two seasons on the injured reserve. I would absolutely try to bring him back and absolutely try to extend him. The way the tackle market and the guard market was last year on the offensive line was just insane. So I think that $9 million figure you're looking at right now is not that bad. You can probably stretch it out and get him down to 6 or $7 million per year. And that's a contract I would absolutely do and get your right tackle short up because there are not tackles out there right now, and he's a good one, and you don't want to let him go. Question number three comes from Rock Pile Report, at Rock Pile Report, my guys from the Buffalo Bills podcast. What's up, Drew and Chris? They ask, he asks, I'm not sure if it's both of you guys, but they ask, is the talk about the Finns drafting a quarterback just a smokescreen, or is it a legitimate concern over Tannehill retaining his job as the starter? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question, guys. I do not know. I, I think it's smoke just because I, the Dolphins have been pretty tight-lipped in the past, and it doesn't really seem to serve them well to put all the stuff out there if that's their intentions. Now, it could be to go ahead and entice somebody else to move up or make a move for a different quarterback or push the Browns into or pressure the Browns into making a move for like Sam Darnold or something or whatever it is at pick number one. There are so many variations that go into this thing. There are so many quarterbacks that are going to change teams this year and so many rookies are going to start as quarterbacks this year. It's going to be a fun process. And I think the Dolphins... I think they're doing their due diligence to make sure in case something does fall to them at pick 11, but I don't think they're going to trade up for anybody. If somebody falls them at 11 they like, I can see them doing that, but I don't see them trading up. Question number four comes from another Locked On Dolphins writer, Kadeem Simmons. Check his stuff out on LockedOnDolphins.com, at Kadeem Simmons. He asks, if Landry and his agent came back to the Dolphins and asked to do the original $12 million per year deal, should the team offer it to him or let him go? I am all about bringing Jarvis Landry back on a reduced figure from what he wants. I think that the passing game would really benefit from having Jarvis Landry on the team. I'm not really breaking news by saying that, but he is such a good player and does so much for this offense that I don't want to see him go. I just hate the the dollar amount he's asking for. So if you can get him down closer to Kenny Stills, I know it's not going to happen, but if you can get him closer down to like 10, 11, I guess maybe even 12 million, that would be a good a good deal to do. And it also would reduce some of the Dolphins cap hit right now, as I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to trade him now. I mean, it sounds like they kind of put themselves into a corner. So if that's 
if that's where we get to the point where he has to be on the team, I would definitely work out a long-term deal and try to salvage it. You just hope that he hasn't really burned any bridges because he's been saying some kind of not so nice things to his teammates lately. Next question comes from Gabe Ginovisi. I hope I said that right, Gabe. At Gabe Gino 13. If the Finns take a quarterback in round one, do you think there's any way we trade Tannehill? Personally, I think there's no way. I'm just curious if you've heard anything. I've heard a lot of things, Gabe, but I don't know what to believe and what who's actually being honest and what's being said as true. But I think that, in my opinion, I, if they do draft a quarterback in the first round, I do want to see him trade Ryan Tannehill, both for the Dolphins and for Ryan Tannehill himself. I'm a huge Tannehill fan. I'm a bigger Dolphins fan. Please do not get that twisted. I would love to see him go on and have success elsewhere, but if they're going to commit to this whole rebuild, and my piece on LockedOnDolphins.com right now, the one that I just put up, is kind of about how the Dolphins have been stuck in this not really rebuilding but not really ready to contend stage for 20 years now or so. I would, I'd like to see him go ahead and set that reset button and start over with Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen or whoever it is that they like. If you're going to do it, do it all the way. Get rid of Ryan Tannehill. Get those assets back in return for him and just kind of proceed that way I think he's going to tear the league apart by like week six I think it might take him a little while to get acclimated to the new knee brace and everything but I think he's going to just dominate this year and if it's not with Miami you know that's going to suck but it is what it is so I think in the event that they do draft a quarterback in the first round there is a possibility that they trade Ryan Tannehill next question comes from Marcus Frazier at Marco great I believe it is Marco gr8 Thoughts on Eric Ebron? I like Eric Ebron. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's a great fit for that three-by-one kind of Y-ISO position I talked about earlier in the podcast and how the Dolphins like to mismatch on that backside of the formation. I think he'd be a great fit there. I think he's had some catch problems, but I think he's a great athlete and a guy that could come in and instantly improve your red zone offense in 2018. Marcus also asks the 11th pick and Jarvis for the 8th pick and Cody Whitehair accept or decline. I think that getting Landry off the books right now is the primary objective for this team. And because of that, I'll go ahead and accept it. And I think the eighth pick gets you closer to a potential Derwin James or Mika Fitzpatrick, and I am all about that. And it adds a piece of the offensive line. I think the Dolphins can survive without Jarvis Landry if they build a strong offensive line and a running game. So I'm going to accept that one. Next question comes from Zach at DolphinsFan52. When will Jarvis Landry most likely be traded? I do not know. I, I think probably... I would think before the new league year, maybe this weekend, we'll see what happens with that. But it's got to happen pretty soon because the Dolphins need to get under the cap. And if they can't do it by cutting players, it means Jarvis Landry has to go. So we'll see what happens very shortly, I do believe. Next question comes from Christian Green at Green Chris. What's the best thing to do with Kiko Alonso this year? Play more nickel and dime? Yeah, I think as long as you can get him off the field in those coverage looks where he's dropping back 10 to 12 yards on a spot drop and he just kind of gets lost in coverage, just do away with all that. Kind of keep him playing closer to the line of scrimmage have him work on the flats and kind of flow sideline to sideline. He's pretty good at filling gaps when he's just kind of a fill guy, not necessarily there to make the tackle. So I think you can definitely find a role for him as like a kind of 50, 40% snap player, but just get him out of coverage down the field because that's no good for anybody. Next question comes from Igor Asianis at Igorius underscore Igor. Which free agents do you think are most interesting for us? I really liked the left guards that are available in this class. I think you have plenty to choose from, whether it's Josh Sitton, Zach Fulton, or... John Sullivan or Josh Klein. There's plenty of guys you can get at a reasonable price that can come in and start at left guard and give you a veteran presence next to Larry Tunzel. I think he really, really needs that. Next question comes from Mitch Roush at Real Mitch Roush. He is one of my buddies back home here in the great state of Washington. He asks, of course, a facetious question. Why do you like cats so much? I love cats, man, because for one, they're hilarious. And two, I just think that they're a lot more intelligent than dogs. You have to actually earn their affection rather than just having them give it to you unconditionally. 
I know some people like that. I appreciate the challenge because when you do get a cat to finally trust you, it's more rewarding to me. So they're funny and I like the way that they show love, if that makes sense. Next question comes from Matthew Toomey, at Earl Toomey, another one of my good buddies uh, back here in the state of Washington. He asks, would you rather want to see Ryan Tannehill butt naked or buck naked? Neither. If it's Lauren Tannehill, I'll do that instead. How about that? And guys, I'm scrolling down the list here and I still have like 20 more questions on here. I just don't have time to get to those. So I'll put them off for next week and we'll get back into the Twitter mailbag and answer those questions for you guys here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winfield NFL at Locked On Fins. We got one more part coming up talking about the piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. And if you guys go to LockedOnDolphins.com right now, you can find my piece right now titled Bubblegum and Band-Aids Rebuilding the Roster the Miami Dolphins Way. And the premise of the article was talking about how the Dolphins have just kind of been stuck in this level of limbo for the last 17 years, really, since they last won a playoff game. And it really started with Dave Wanstead's kind of indecisiveness at the quarterback position, or I guess the decisiveness towards the wrong guy. And it started with Jay Fiedler. And I went back and compared some of Jay Fiedler stuff to Trent Green, who Dave Wants had famously once said after the 2000 season going into 2001, he said, what can Trent Green do that Jay can't? And that's like the most infamous quote in Dolphins history, in my opinion, talking about a guy that went on to just dominate the league for a few years. You look at Trent Green in the four years after he said that his passer rating ranks in 2001, he was 26th in passer rating. And that was the year off of the big knee injury that led to Kurt Warner in the year 1999. And, you know, he was coming back off that injury and he was kind of slow to get adjusted. So that one, a little bit of a wash for me. And then he goes up to 14th the next year, 6th the next year, and then 1st in 2003. So Trent Green from 2000, 2003, a much better quarterback than Jay Fiedler, who was 24th, 13th, 29th, and 23rd. And in those years, the Dolphins had the third best scoring defense, 11th best scoring defense, fourth best scoring defense and second best scoring defense. And when they were fourth and second, they had Ricky Williams both those years dominating at running back. So the Dolphins really set in the wrong direction back in the early 2000s. And it's been kind of much of the same since then, you know, retirement home for older washed up players, you know, Chris Carter, Thurman Thomas, Junior Seau. And then you have the big contracts of Mike Wallace, Brandon Albert, as well as Ndamukong Sue, who's actually performed way better than the other guys. But there's just been this constant meddling around the middle area of mediocrity between seven and nine, eight and eight. And you guys know that, but the article kind of dives into some of the moves they decided to go with and just kind of compares how ludicrous they are looking back in hindsight. And then it ends with me kind of pleading the Dolphins front office to make a change. I mean, it's okay to make mistakes, to whiff and strike out. Like let's say the Eagles moves last year didn't work out. That's okay. At least they did something aggressive and they made a, you know, a definitive plan that they were going to attack and do it that way and go down swinging. Doug Peterson, the Eagles head coach, when they asked him, someone asked him in the media, you know, what's up with the decisions to go for on fourth down as much as you did? And he said, you know what, this this league is is volatile. You can get fired anytime. And I just thought if I'm going to get this job done, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to go down swing. I'm going to be aggressive and I'm going to just take the chances because if you don't take the chances, there's a good chance you get fired anyway. So just the aggressive approach and actual plan in place. And you can read the entire piece up right now on LockedOnDolphins.com. Bubblegum and Band-Aids, roster building the Miami Dolphins way. And that will do it for tonight's podcast, guys. I got to get out of here. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and a review. And check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at Winfield NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Follow our flagship show on Twitter and Facebook at LockedOnNFL. As well as checking out LockedOnDolphins.com. We'll be back on Sunday night with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. 
your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.